All right, buenos dias. Ah, I knew you will know that one. That's great. Uh, as you hear, I'm Eduardo Ferguson. Uh, it's, it's, it's such a great privilege for me to be here and share with you. As always, I'm a little nervous. Preaching in English is different for me, so bear with me. Be patient. I hope to do good. If I'm not, don't tell me. <laughs> Just pretend and say amen and woohoo and all, and all of that. So I want to share some pictures with you. Uh, so that's my family. That's my wife, Edna. That's my daughter, Emma, and we, uh, we learned that we're uh, waiting a baby boy that is due in October. That's, that second picture is where we were letting everyone know, like, you know, the plus one and all that. Yes. So, and the next one is when we, uh, that's last Christmas, that's my wife and my baby. And then the next one is uh, when we let everybody know that it was a boy. So, yeah, very exciting. Okay, in the next one, I just want to show you where we are, you know, Colombia, right there, South America, uh, the, the, red, the red map. And uh, in Colombia, in the northern coast, uh, our department is like the, state, the states here. It is called La Guajira, and then the red one is our city. It is called Riohacha. It's like 300,000 people over there. Go to the next one. I think I have a little picture of it, yes. So that's a little view. Uh, the beach is right there, which is pretty cool, like five minutes from home. Uh, that's where we are, and that's where our church is. And the next one is the name of our church. is Vida en su Palabra, which is life in his word. Uh, and the next one, some pictures of our, that's like the entrance of our little, uh, the, the little building that we're renting there. Uh, yeah, and the next one. It's uh, my, this is my co-pastor. This is Andres and his wife, Juliana, and their two kids. I, I was, it, it was so good for us because we started, like, we planted the church together, which was a great help from the beginning. So he will be like the, uh, I don't know, maybe he's the Stephen and I'm the Travis or the other way around. <laughs> Something like that. And the next one, that's uh, some of the folks in our church there. And the next one, it's, you know, pre-COVID services when you were, able to do that. Now it's, you know, masks and all that. It's still going. And the next one is more, uh, yeah, more pictures of our church. That was when we were praying for our baby, Christmas dinners, things like that. And this is a more recent one, you know, with a light thing and masks and, and all that. So uh, when we planted a church in 2013, like uh, three years later, there was some people from a, from a city that was three hours from where we are. It's called Valladolid They found like our, our, you know, our information in the Gospel Coalition uh, directory. Uh, the next one. And, and so these, uh, these brothers wanted you know, some help. They were looking for a church. And we started to say, okay, what can, what can we do to help us? Being a small church without you know, the resources and all that. So we decided to start going there every Sunday. That will be one Sunday, and my co-pastor will be another Sunday. It was, it was hard. It was a three-hour drive every Sunday. So our plan was to start doing that every Sunday and then to, you know, uh, train the people there so we were able to go less and less and less until eventually, next one, uh, this is the name of the church. It's called His, His Word is True. That's the, the, our church plant in Valladolid. And in the next one, uh, yes, and some of the services, that's me over there. That was, we were training on, on preaching that day. Some of the things that we were able to do there. And one of the most exciting things in the next one is that we were able to ordain their first pastor. That's Pedro. By the end of 2019. So 
I was, I was telling Travis because I heard the sermon last night and he's saying he's pastoring two churches. I'm like, no, I'm not. <laughs> that will be so difficult. <laughs> so we're so excited that they have their pastor. We're still kind of helping, being around, uh, but we're not going every Sunday as we used to, which is okay. And, <laughs> and that's their first deacon and that's, you know, Andres, me, and, and yeah. So uh, just want to show you guys a little bit about that and, and, and we're so excited to be able to, to partner with you and, and, and you know, uh, to know that we're not alone in this, in this that we're doing is just great. So let's pray. Uh, join me in prayer and for the time we're going to spend in the world. Father, we, I thank you for this great opportunity to get to know these dear brothers and sisters. And thank you also for the privilege that we have that, that listen to your voice, that listen to you through your word. To see the glories and the wisdom and the patience and the love of our Lord Jesus Christ. To see and learn that you have for us today. So help us, dear Father, to, to, to be willing to hear, but also to obey what we hear through your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So, okay, we're going to be in Mark 9 uh, from uh, verse 30 to 50. That's 20 verses. When I, when I get that email, it was like... What did I ever do to these guys? I'm just, we're friends. But anyway, I, I'm going <laughs> to try to. And let's, let's begin talking a little bit about the context and, and what is happening in, in that moment. Our texts come after the transfiguration. I know that the, uh, Travis preached about that. Christ showing his glory to three of his closest disciples. And that is followed by this debacle of the disciples being asked by a desperate dad, to, for, uh, you know, his little boy was uh, with a, a demon possessed and all that. And, and the disciples, they prayerlessly, prayerlessly attempted to do that, to, to, uh, to cast out that demon, and they fail. And Christ delivers the boy, and then he tells his disciples that the reason they had no power is because they tried to do this thing in their own power. So that's when they say, okay, yeah, you can't do that. It's every if true to pray. And one of, the, one of the themes that we see in the gospel is, you know, is the disciples and the relationship they have with the Lord and how, how can we see ourselves in them. How, you know, how every time they get things wrong, how they were like a little stubborn to understand how things were supposed to be. So, and after that, the Lord wants to speak with his disciples alone after this thing that, we, that were, they weren't able to cast out this demon. So... In Mark 9, 31, it says, They went on from there and passed through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know. For he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and when he's killed, after three days he will rise. So then the Lord reveals the center of his mission. So you see, that's, it's also an important theme in the gospel. The disciples, the disciples weren't getting the center of, of Jesus' mission. And also, again, this highlights uh, how the seriousness of our condition, that it would be required the, 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 the Son of God to die in our place. So, and you see, that was a problem for the disciples because they were also having this expectation of a Messiah who will deliver them from Rome and all those things. And they, they wanted this king and they didn't want to be, you know, have power and be the center of all. And, and they have this confusion too. And, you know, the disciples, like uh, ourselves, we have this tendency to minimize the gravity of our condition. We were good explaining away our sin. 
we say it's a busy day, or we say we weren't feeling well, or we say, look who I am living near, or look at the pressure of the situation. All of these things minimize sin, and, and, and when you minimize sin, then you minimize the grace of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we are only able to celebrate the cross when we are ready to admit how desperate our state is. But anyway, the Lord said this to the disciples, I'm going to die, I'm going to raise the third day. But in verse 32, it says about the disciples, they did not understand the saying. And they were afraid to ask him. When I read that, I was wondering, why were they afraid to ask Well, in other parts of the gospel of Mark, for example, in Mark 4, 13, Jesus asked their disciples, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? Or in Mark 7, 18, he said to them, then are you also without understanding? So they keep hearing Jesus tell them that they maybe were a little bit afraid. But there's also another possibility. It's like in Mark chapter 8, when he was also predicting his death, and Peter was, you know, approaching him and saying, Lord, don't do that. Come on. Why? And the Lord says, But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of men. So that was him after talking about his death and resurrection. So the disciples knowing that, like, yeah, I don't want to ask. <laughs> I don't want to be called Satan, you know. So let it be. But the problem of the disciples, and we see that in when Jesus was told to Peter is that their mind were on the things of men. What are the things of men in that? It's that sense of self-preservation, that uh, desire for comfort that we always have. So after this, we have a couple of situations where the Lord is going to teach the disciples, see, and there he calls them to true greatness and he calls them to be vigilant and serious about sin. So he calls them to humility. Let's, let's talk about that. After this discussion, Christ led his disciples to Capernaum. And on the way, he, he observed that they're having this, this big argument. They're, they're fighting. They're talking, a little, little agitated there. And they, he approached them. It is a bit shocking argument that they have. And when Jesus asked the disciples, because he, he observed this, they don't want to tell him. They don't want to tell him what was the, the fight about. You, you read that in verse 33. And then came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent. For on the way, they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. So the Lord knew what was the argument about. Now, think about this. This is the second time in the Gospel of Mark where Jesus predicts in detail his death. The last time he did that, What he teaches immediately after he rebukes Peter is in Mark 8, 34. And it says, and, call, and calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. That was the last time he predicted his death. But now in this time when he predicts his death, the thing that they do is they're arguing about who is the greatest. So you times you wonder, are they even listening to Jesus at this point? I wonder about that. And it's like Jesus saying to them, not only do I carry a cross, but if you want to follow me, you must carry a cross. You must die to your centrality, to be that, that you believe that you're the center of the universe. You must die to the glory of you. You must die to your little kingdom, and you must live for mine. It is shocking then that immediately after Christ talks about his death, 
This time, the discussion between the disciples is, who is the greatest? <laughs> the fact that they had this conversation after the Lord mentioned his death and resurrection is evidence of what sin does to us. It fills us with this desire for our own greatness, that everything is about us, and we could say that the most seductive idol is the idol of self. That is why it feels good to win an argument, you see? And, uh, or, or tell the best joke in the room, or to be the center of attention. And when we read what the disciples were doing, we might think, well, these guys are amazing. Why would they do that? But you see, what if you and me were there? If you were there, you were probably saying, no, look, the, the high priest is my uncle, so I should be the greatest. Or you maybe will say, but I was a disciple of John the Baptist. I should be the greatest. And they were going back and forth with this discussion about who is the greatest. But do you remember what's the one thing that the gospel comes and do for us? Is what 2 Corinthians 5.15 says. And he died for all. That those who live might no longer live for themselves. But for him who for their sake died and was raised. So you see one of the things that we need to be freed from. Is that we are a slave to our, our own desires. To our own things. So when people. It happened in my country. I don't know if it happened here. I don't want to do anything to do with church. Or religion or Christianity. Because I want to be free. I want to do whatever I want. But if you think that way, you're not realized, you're, you don't realize that you're being a slave to your own desires. We are truly free when we are free to do what the Lord is calling us to do. That's true freedom. But at the same time, we believe it's everything about ourselves and how great we are. But we now see that the answer that our Lord Jesus Christ gave to the disciples in Mark 9, 35. And it says, and he sat down and called it. I love that. He sat down. And call the 12. Because if I already told them that you need to deny yourself. And I'm talking about how I have to die and be raised again. And they are arguing about who is the greatest. I will, you know, like scream, what's wrong with you? But no, I love that our Lord is not like us. He's definitely not like us because he sat down. I mean, I can see his patience, his love. He called the 12 and he says to them, if anyone will be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. If anyone will be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. So Jesus immediately is saying this, that greatness is not about power. It's not about position. It's not about possessions. It's not about your performance. Greatness is not about any of those things. It's not about who you are and what you have accomplished. That's not greatness. Greatness is an attitude of the heart we see there. And I love it that the Lord, is, the Lord is saying that we have this natural desire to be great. But we are pursuing that in the wrong things. He's saying, oh, you want to pursue that? That's how you pursue that. This is the right way to do it. It's an attitude of the heart. That's what the Bible said, that God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. So that means that in all of us, there's be, there has to be an special joy in serving God's plan, in serving God's purpose... That we don't live for our greatness, that we live for God's greatness. And that is what moves and that should move and motivates you in your Christian life. That God to be the front and center, that I want his kingdom to prosper, that I want his will to be done, that I want his glory to be seen. What should motivate us, it is him, it is love. 
constant service to God. And do we live like that? Do you relate to the people around you in that way? In a way that advances the glory of God and not your own glory? Do you relate to your children in a way that elevates in the glory of God and not your glory? Do you want your neighbor to somehow begin to see God for who he is? And do you live before them in that way? Do you use your possessions, your money, your time, and your energies for his glory? Do you live like a servant or do you live like if you were the king? And we're always facing that um, situation. Then the Lord uses an illustration in Mark 9, 36 and 37 when he says, And he took a child and put him in the midst of them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever received one such child in my name, received me. And whoever received me, received not me, but him who sent me. What is he saying? What does this child represent? This child has no power. This child has no position. He has nothing that he can offer you. So Jesus is saying in receiving that child, in loving that child, in serving that child, you have to forsake all of those things. Because this child has nothing to give you. There's nothing in it for you. And that's what's being taught here for the, for the disciples. You see, that's how, that's the difference between the, 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 the love we see in the scriptures and the love we see in the world. When people in the world say they love, they love because what they can get from that person. But you see, when you think about the gospel and, 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 and God's love for us, what can he get from us? Nothing. What can we add to him? Nothing, because he's perfect. He had it all. But in the way he loves us is that he, 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 he gives himself through Jesus to us. So in a way, when, when the Lord is telling us, if you want to be first, you got to be the servant of all. And you're not doing thinking about what are you going to get in return, but you do it for my glory. So the first and important call we see in this text, that's the application of it. Are you driven by this desire to be the center of everything is so subtle, uh, and we do it in many different ways. But you see, what the Lord is calling us to do is kind of a, to surrender this uh, little throne that we have, and that He might be seated on it. So we shouldn't think about the disciples as oh, these poor guys; they don't get anything because we sometimes don't get it also, and we are arguing and looking for ways to be the center. Of everything, and we need to die to that. We need to die to that. Now, the second great thing that we see in this portion is that call that the Lord is doing to the disciples and to us about taking, uh, seeing the seriously of our fight with sin. There are so many things that we take seriously in our lives. Everybody has things that are serious to them. For example, in Colombia, people take soccer very seriously. Like, really. I remember in this last tournament that we have that we lost with Argentina or something, and there's, there was some lawyers trying to sue the game for some, like, what, do they have the time to do that? It doesn't make any sense. So but there are people that are very serious about, about different things that shouldn't be serious about. But do, you, do we take the issue of sin that serious? Is your life shaped by what your relationship with sin is like? So in what follows, the disciples continue to show that they thought that everything was about them. They encountered someone that was casting out the demon in the name of Jesus. And they were outraged. Look at verse 38. John said to him, teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name. 
We tried to stop him because he was not following us. That's, that's kind of the clue that we see there. So I found this amazing. Do you remember that a chapter ago they couldn't cast a demon by themselves? So they were a little jealous there. Ah, but this guy, you see, this guy was casting out demons. He didn't follow on us. They was like, oh, come on, guys. <laughs> Again? So the same ones who tried to cast out a demon in their own strength and could not do it, they were just, and, and the same ones that were talking about which of them was the greatest were trying to, you know, uh, 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 to stop these, these, these people uh, for casting out demons. So in verse 39, Jesus said, do not stop him. For no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. So Jesus is telling them, you should be excited to see more allies of our kingdom. Not angry because they feel they alone were the only ones that were part of this select club. And I love that phrase, he who is not against us is for us. So you, that kind of reminds us there's no neutrality with, with our Lord. So it's interesting to see that. And it says in verse 41, For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. So he's, he tells them, even an act has a small, has a, giving somebody a cup of cool water will not go without reward. So when us, we, when we step out of our own kingdoms and we quit serving ourselves and begin even in the smallest ways to serve others, that's what Jesus is saying here, that he will reward us. And he's telling his disciples that they had it all wrong. They dare keep thinking it's about them. But it's not. It's about the work of Christ's kingdom. So now what follows is one of the most clear descriptions of the seriousness and gravity of sin. And, and he presented in, in, in three areas. That we should be serious about the sin in, in the closest relationships of our lives. That, that, that you should be serious about the sins in terms of your own life. And we should be serious about the sin with respect of the surrounding world. So look this with me. Uh, verse 42. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin will be better for him if a great milestone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. So when Christ talks of little ones, he's not actually talking about children in this context. Little ones who believe, uh, it's, it's kind of giving the clue what he's talking about. He's using this term to those who have belief in him. And in saying that, he immediately reminds us of our obligation. The obligation that God has given us for the influence that he will have through us in the life of the people that are near to us. So we have been chosen to be a part of what God is doing in the lives of others. Did you hear that? We were chosen to be a part of what God is doing in the lives of other people. None of us must be comfortable with just being consumers of the faith. We're called to be instruments in, God, in God's hands in the lives of others. So we need to ask ourselves, what's the nature of my influence in the lives of those around me? Because he calls them about, calls them to stumble. That means to tempt a person to sin. Maybe us, with our anger or with our selfishness or other things that we might do, we can actually tempt people to do what's, what is evil in God's eyes. 
Jesus said a strong word. He said, it will be better if a milestone was hung around your neck and you were dropped into the sea. The punishment that will have been familiar to the listener because it was the way that the Romans will punish the insurrectionists against the Roman kingdom. Now, that's how serious God takes our influence. If you are a parent, for example, you have to ask yourself those questions. Do your words and actions toward your children stimulate their faith? Are you a beautiful picture of the authority of God in the way that you exercise your authority? If you're a husband or a wife, does your relationship to your husband or wife encourage them to faith? Encourage them to hope in God? Encourage them to love God? Or if you're a single person, do you take those friendships seriously? Do you understand that your position as a person of influence, that you are either in those relationships Part, are you doing part of what God is doing or you are in the way of what God is doing in those relationships? Do we actually take things seriously in the context of the new relationships to us? I think that's an important thing to think about. There are times that we rather have things our way. There are times where our schedule is more important to us than God's glory. There are times that I will rather be serve than serve. There are times when we rather, uh, instead of being tools of grace... We remind people near us how tough it is to be around them. Are you part of what God is doing in the life of people around you or in the way of it? There's no like middle ground in that. And we need to realize that. That it's not just about us. And that's what the Lord is telling his disciples. You shouldn't make anyone to stumble. And then Christ moved to the seriousness of sin in terms of our own life. In Mark 9, 43 to 48, he said, And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled. Uh, I don't know how to read that, to be honest. That with two hands to go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. And if your food causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, throw it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell. Where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. So you know that more than literally cutting off a member of your body, what it calls us is to take this seriously. Are we serious about our sin? And, and the Lord is telling that to his disciples. How serious it is, well, that you have to make everything in your power to be a way of what makes you stumble. There is nothing to play about or to play with. It's, it's not to, to, to take a dull knife and say, you know, I'm going to just scratch it a little. No, no. He's saying just, you have to cut it off. Take that out. You don't play with it because how, danger, how dangerous it is. It doesn't always look dangerous, and I think that's our problem. It doesn't always seem to lead to death. It feels good. Sometimes we think it's more fulfilling even. It looks more attractive. But to illustrate the seriousness with which we are called to be our own struggle with sin... Jesus chooses three very important members of our body. Your hands, your eyes, and your feet. So do your feet take you where you shouldn't go? Do your hands reach out for what you should not desire? Do your eyes look at what you should not consider? And we need this warning because most of the time we don't look at sin as seriously as we should. Sometimes, and we talk about that, okay, you know, we're weak, we're broken. That's true. I mean, it is. We all have different struggles. But that does not mean that we should, you should try that like lightly. 
Not we shouldn't become more and more uh, uh, permissive, but we need to grow in being radical. We're not keeping up with these times. We, I mean, we're not called to you know to adapt ourselves to these times. Oh, these modern times. This is different now. You gotta relax a little. That was like I don't know the past generation. No, because. We shouldn't normalize what the, the scripture calls sin. And we shouldn't celebrate that either. We are told that this society has changed. But brothers and sisters, the love, the love of God has not changed. And we need to keep that in mind all the time. So J.C. Ryle says in, in his expository thoughts on Mark, Let us resolve by God's grace to make a practical use of our Lord's solemn injunction in this place. Let us regard it as the advice of a wise physician. The counsel of a tender father, the warning of a faithful friend. However, men may ridicule us for our strictness and preciseness. Let us habitually crucify our flesh with its affections and loss. Let us deny ourselves any enjoyment rather than incur peril of sinning against God. Let us walk in Job's steps, he says, and made a covenant with my eyes. Let us remember Paul, he says, I keep under my body and bring it to subjection. Lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself shall be cast away. And finally, in Mark 9, 49 to 50, the Lord says, for everyone will be salt with fire. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost his saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have, you, have salt in yourself and be at peace with one another. So in using this metaphor of salt, Christ reminds us of our position toward the surrounding world. This is the Christ who spoke in the Sermon on the Mount and said, You are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. And we shouldn't think of salt just as a wonderful seasoning. Salt in those days was the major preservative. Salt was put on meat to fight corruption of the substance. So Jesus is saying, Don't you understand that your position with the surrounding world is to be salt? Is that, that rapid corruption that is going on around us, the way it's going to be stopped is by the church being the church. We have that responsibility with the world around us. Now, if, if you're like me, you can think, okay, I, I, there's not a rational person reading this who can say, Oh, I easily, I easily measure up to this passage. I, I had it all, you know, I had it all figured out. No. I know that everyone of us will say that we don't always take our influence in the relationship that God has given us seriously. That we don't always take sin in our own life seriously. And we don't, we don't always remember our calling to the surrounding world. And that's where we need to hear the gospel again. That our standing with God is not based in how well you keep this passage. Because Jesus has perfectly kept the requirement of this passage for you. He was serious about sin in every way. Every thought, every deed, every interaction was done in complete obedience to the will of God. He was serious about sin. So he was willing to suffer and die horrible injustice, horrible torture, unbelievable mockery. So that sin will be conquered. And so, because of the sacrifice of Christ, in our failure, we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to hide from our Heavenly Father. Instead, we can run once again into His presence and say, Father, there are moments when I'm serious, but not always. There are moments when I want to be part of what you're doing in the life of others, but not always. There are moments when I want to live a holy life, but not always. There are moments when I'm engaged in the larger work of your kingdom, 
but not always. There are ways that I know and understand that everything is not about me, but not always. So here we come again. By his grace, we come and thank him that he has accepted us on the basis of the obedience of another. And we can ask him once again, Lord, won't you empower us by your grace? Won't you fill our heart with the seriousness once again? Won't you claim our desires for your kingdom? Won't your own my thoughts for your words so that one day we might hear, well done, good and faithful sermons. So brothers and sisters, in the same way that the disciples were sometimes, you know, lost in what was going on, we are like that. And my call to you this morning is just to be aware of the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, that it's not about us. And to start to take seriously what he called us to take. Are you serious about? I mean, we always forget the eternal implications of the things that we are doing regarding to church and the Lord. You see, his word, coming to church even, is not an add-on to your life. Like, okay, you have this and this and that. And also church and also my Christian life. No, no, no. Everything should be around that center. And he is the center. His kingdom is the center. We have the privilege to be participants of that. It's not about us. We would love to be about us, but it's not. <laughs> it's about him. And may the Lord help us to do it and pursue that in that way. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this opportunity to share here. I, I will ask you to take my imperfect uh, way to do it and, and use it mildly for us to remind your grace and your mercy and your love Because we are just like the disciples, lost in thinking about how great we are, lost in getting jealous of others, lost in, in not taking seriously what you're calling us to take seriously. But at the same time, we're reminded that we can once again go to your throne of grace because of our Lord Jesus Christ, and you are like a loving Father. We're, when we think about What is your, your face like right now toward us? We may be thinking that you are mad at us, but because of our Lord Jesus Christ, we can see that smile. We can see your patience. We can see your love. So help us, Father, not to be like the disciples in this way, but to be transformed by your grace, to follow you in the way we should, we should do. So I thank you, brother, for this church family, and for the opportunity that I have to share with them. And to be reminded that although we are like miles and miles away, since we are united to Christ, we are a family. And I've been feeling like that these days, and it's, and it's amazing. So thank you. Thank you, Lord. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.